Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't joined our wonderful marketing transformation community yet, go to innovabiz.co and collect your free gift as well. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. about you actually this is about the idea that someone is waiting for you to do your thing so they can do their thing someone is waiting for you to take their your risk so they can take their risk like whether that is like you know your child or a, a, a colleague of yours or a mentee people are watching what you're doing and at any moment when you're willing to embrace that weird nerdy self of yours and take that risk, get bored and then follow that nerve-sided idea and you actually follow through with it, you are giving permission as well as a shot of bravery to everyone else to actually do their thing. And if we're talking about, oh, I want to have an impact on the world, I want to change the world you know, before I die, this is your way of changing the world. Simply cash in, on your winning lottery ticket and do the thing that makes you come most alive. Because when you do that, you give permission for everyone else to do the same. Welcome back. I hope you've had an awesome week so far. If you haven't listened yet to my recent conversations with Casey Berman of Leave Law Behind, and with Eric Seropian of This Is My South Bay, then go check them out. But listen first to today's conversation. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Jeff Harry of Rediscover Your Play. Jeff combines positive psychology and play to help teams and organizations navigate difficult conversations and assist individuals in addressing their biggest challenges through embracing a play-oriented approach to work. Some of the topics he covers include how to deal with toxicity in the workplace, how to address office politics, how to play with your inner critic, how to help your staff rediscover their flow, and how to navigate these uncertain times, all through play. For his work, Jeff was selected by Bamboo HR and engagedly as one of the top 100 HR influencers of 2020. His work has most recently been featured in the New York Times, in Mashable and in Upworthy. In our conversation today, Jeff talked to me about learning how to play with our inner critic to unleash our creativity. He explained why letting go of expectations will help us actually achieve more. And he explained to me why it's important to savour our wins. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Jeff Harry. (music) 
Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast today from Oakland, California, which is just across the bay from San Francisco, if my geography serves me right. In the USA, of course, Jeff Harry, who's a positive psychology play speaker, and he's founder of Rediscover Your Play. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Jeff. It's a great oh. privilege to have you as my guest. I'm so excited, Jürgen. Let's do this. Some of it amped. Now, Aidan Nepom, who was our guest on episode 400 of the Innova Buzz podcast, suggested that we have you on and introduced us. So, big hello to Aidan. Hey, what's up, Aidan? Thanks so much. <laughs> now, um, your goal in life is help facilitate a global conversation on the importance of play and how it can be used to address pressing issues in the world. So, I'm really looking forward to talking more about that, maybe being a bit playful on this show. Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about the impact you're making in the world today. Yeah, that's a great question. So I use positive psychology in play to help a lot of businesses create psychologically safe workspaces. So how to navigate difficult conversations, how to deal with toxicity at work, how to play with your inner critic, right? How to get your staff as well as yourself into flow. So a majority of the work I do is with a lot of Fortune 500 companies, specifically in the tech sector, um, really trying to use play as a way to like unblock so many of those uh, roadblocks that are actually getting in the way of them building a really strong team, as well as actually finding innovation, especially as we venture into these uncertain times in the post-pandemic world. Mm, fascinating. Now, I know from having visited a couple of the different uh, Google workplaces, workplaces in, in the world that, you know, their, their setup is very much, you know, there's, it's very much play focused in some way. And I think the driver for them probably is innovation. Um, how do you see the, you know, sort of traditional, more traditional Fortune 500 companies, I guess, embracing this whole concept of play as a way to address all the, things that you mentioned? Uh, well, most of them are not. <laughs> most, of them see, most of them see play as frivolous, and I totally get that, right? But I also then challenge them whenever we're working with them as I say, hey, you know, Steven Johnson says the future is where people are having the most fun, right? And what are the organizations or the companies that thrived in 2020 that were having the most fun? TikTok, Hulu, Clubhouse, Netflix, all taking huge risks during 2020, willing to play and experiment and fail, right? While the companies that weren't able to thrive in 2020 and will be struggling in 2021 are the ones that are still trying to go back to normal. There is no normal. Like you have to do a new way of marketing. You have to do a new way of recruiting. You have to do a new way of inviting your staff even back to the office and, and encouraging them how to come back to the office. You could force them to come back, but you're not going to get the most out of them that way. And a, a lot of times I talk about how like, okay, what, what has play done for companies, right? Any innovative idea that's ever come from a majority of companies or a majority of the innovative ideas come from a play mindset. They don't come from like a scarcity mm. mindset. And then if you think of like Google, for example, with what they used to have this thing called the Google 20% rule where they would give their staff a fifth of their time to pursue whatever was curious to them and whatever was like interesting to them as long as it helped Google, 
right? So they gave them a playground of about five hours a, a week to play. What came from the Google 20% program? AdSense, which pays the bills. Gmail, which we all use. Google Meet, Google News, Google Maps, like all these innovations by giving their staff the freedom to actually play and experiment. So that is the possibility you have when you give your staff the ability to play at work. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I, I like that example. That's a really great example because it, it's not just that they say you've got 20% of your time and you, work, you can work on whatever you like. Um, and there are some accountability rules around it, of mm -hmm. course. But they also say, you know, when you do that, go to a different place. And right. they provide these playful spaces, if you like, sort of, you know, um, almost playgrounds or um, some of the ones that I've seen are old gondolas that they've repurposed where, you know, it's put inside this building and it's all very playful. And you think, wow, this is like a children's playground. And mm -hmm. so they not only give them the time, they physically transform the space and, and ask them to go to these different spaces, go away from your desk. Right. And, and you, you know, either as a solopreneur or, you know, entrepreneur, or if you're running a small business, you know, next time you're doing a brainstorming meeting, don't do it in a box room around a box table and then be like, all right, let's think outside the box, right? Like actually change the dynamics, whether that's you doing a walking meeting or whether that's y'all like doing this while you like play basketball or whatever it is. But challenge yourself. Like if a lot of people, if, um, you know, Phil Jackson is, is, uh, was this famous coach in the NBA, you know, for the Bulls and the Lakers, and he would constantly mess with his team. Sometimes they would play in the dark. Sometimes they would play with like music playing really loud, but he would just do all these different things to get people out of that fixed mindset and get into that growth mindset where play actually exists. And that is a challenge that a lot of leaders need to figure out how to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Getting into that growth mindset, it's fascinating. I'm just reminded a couple of nights ago, I watched a movie. It's called The Merger. It's probably 10 years old or so. It's an Australian movie and it plays in this small outback town. And the gist of it is the, 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 there's this former Australian rules football star who's kind of washed up and he takes on this team that's struggling and is about to be taken over. That's what's called the merger. But to build the team, rebuild the team, he recruits all these refugees that have been settled in the town and that there's a lot of animosity to these refugees from the mm. community. He recruits them all and he does all this playful stuff to build up the team and uh, with the result that not only does the football team suddenly thrive, but also the community suddenly rallies around the football team and around right. the refugees. So he brings brings the whole community together. So I, I thought that's an interesting thing, and it's timely that I happened to watch that. I mean, I just stumbled on it, and I thought, well, there's play in action. Right, and I, and I love that story because there's I think we ignore the power of innovation and the power of the idea of getting into flow, right? And that is when you're doing work where you forget about time, where you're doing work, which is your zone of genius, where if, if no one was paying you to do this, you would still do this, this work, right? So I always reference the idea of the Wright brothers, you know, that invented the airplane in, in the US. Mm. A lot of people don't realize at the same time that the Wright brothers, which by the way, were two bike mechanics, 
that had no idea what they were doing, just experimenting. And their town was making fun of them, just like in the merger, right, at first. But then they started to, like, you know, gain some respect because each time it crashed, they were like, all right. You know, the neighborhood was like, all right, let me, let's me let help us out. We'll give them some materials and things. But at the same time, the Wright brothers were doing this. Two bike mechanics in the Midwest. Chrysler, like a car company, funded by a million dollars at the time, which now represents around like 50 to $70 million of this amount of money now. Not to mention a bunch of, of highly touted PhD scientists, you know, and other experts, the best engineers were working as a group. I think it was up to like around 50 to 70 staff trying to figure out the first flying machine at the same time of these two bike mechanics. Who got there first? The bike mechanics. Why? Because they were playing. Because they were having fun. While Chrysler, there was so much pressure on these scientists and engineers to figure it out that as soon as the Wright brothers figured it out, they all gave up because they were like, well, you know, we don't want to innovate. We just wanted to be the first. So again, for leaders that are listening to this, how are you driving your staff? How are you driving yourself? Are you driving yourself from a scarcity mindset, like through fear? Or are you driving it yourself from a play, curious, experimental mindset? Because you're more likely to be more productive. Actually, when you're, act when you're in your flow work, you're 500% more productive than when you're just doing regular work. So we have to identify what is our flow work and how do we spend more time in that space? Mm. Yeah, that's a fascinating example. I didn't realize that Chrysler, I know there were, there were a few others that um, were uh, working on this at the same time. And I think there's yep. probably similar stories about those. But yeah, it's fascinating. The bicycle mechanics, they solved the problem. Mm. All right. Um, you talked earlier um, that, you know, this idea of the new normal, I mean, I'm always laughing a little bit when I hear this, you know, when are we going to get mm -hmm. back to normal and when's COVID going to be over? And and I think, okay, we, we might get to a place where um, COVID is no longer the issue it is right now. Um, however, I'm not sure that, that there's going to be a new normal or, or you know, what is, what is normal indeed. So talk to me a little bit about, first of all, that concept of the normal and how can we change the global mindset around that and say, well, we've got to change. Because I think that thinking comes into a lot of things. For example, in Australia, we're, um, we're lagging way behind the rest of the world in terms of climate change, recognizing climate change and so on. And I think there's a bit of that thinking as well. Um, we'll just, you know, tinker on the edges and then we'll be back to normal. Um, mm -hmm. so talk to us a little bit. How can we address that mindset and how can play come into that, um, that equation? Yeah, well, we first have to recognize, like, why do people want to rush back to normal? You know, I understand why leaders want, some leaders want to, because they're like, oh, it was so much better when it was a certain way. But they should ask their staff, did they enjoy the normal way in which they worked? You know, like, I don't know, in the U.S., you know, we are commuting, we were commuting um, in, in total of our entire life, it was eight years of just commuting back and forth to work. That's something a lot of um, Americans don't want to do anymore, right? So like that's part of the reason why 80% of their staff doesn't actually want to go back to the office full time. So leaders have to first 
start talking to their staff. What was it about before that we actually enjoyed what we did really well? And what can we actually do better? And the other part of, of embracing what we say, I guess, is the new normal is really what we're saying is embracing uncertainty. Now, we've always been in uncertainty, but there was this myth that we were in control, right? And we're just not. We just never have been in control. You know, in the play space, we're always adapting. But for a lot of people, we're like, no, I, we totally had things that this is how we do stuff. And, you know, this is how we market and this is how we recruit. And this is how we, you know, build leaders. And it was like, we have to, you as a leader have to revisit, is the way in which I recruit now coming out of this going to work? And the way in which I'm going to market, is it going to work this way? Or is it going to come off as tone deaf? Even how we do sales. Like, are we going to do in that, you know, I'm going to contact 300 people in the span of a week. You know, does that still work or we do we need to focus more on building relationships? What type of like emotional intelligence, EQ, right? Like, are we actually bringing back to work? Are we bringing shared humanity, um, compassion, empathy, even the, even the way in which we lead? You know, I talk a lot about how for the longest time we've been celebrating masculine forms of leadership, very like slay the dragon, get stuff done, hit the to-do list, crush the competition. While feminine leadership is more around like empathy, curiosity, play, compassion. Now look at the prime minister of New Zealand, you know, um, Jacinda Ardern. Right she, yeah. yeah, she actually led with both masculine and feminine leadership. She found a balance and that's why they had such low COVID rates because she was both like, listen, you know, we're locking down. This is what you need to do. And also let me think of a compassionate way in which we can cover some of the costs. So, you know, you don't feel like you have to get back to work so quickly. We didn't do that in America. That's why we suffered so much, right? So again, we have to think about as leaders, what type of leadership do we want to show up going forward that's actually going to be best for our staff. I think a lot of leaders are not thinking about what they need to do more to help their staff do their best work. And one of the best things that I recommend to a lot of, of my clients is ask your staff what their zone of genius is. You know, what is the work where they forget about time, the work where, you know, if they weren't getting paid, they would still do it. And what percentage of time are they currently doing that work? Oh, your zone of genius is connecting with clients. What, how much time do you currently devote to that? Only 20% of your time? Oh my gosh, how do we increase that to 30%? That's only a few more hours a week. But studies again show if you do that, if you allow them to do their flow work, not only are you again five times more productive, but also you have a, it has a ripple effect on the rest of the work that you actually do, as well as it helps your staff because it reduces turnover. They actually feel seen, so they want to stay longer, and they actually want to work harder because they now believe that you actually care about them as an individual. Mm. Yeah, that's a. Um, it makes a lot of sense to go about managing staff in that way or leading leading them in that way. The um, question it raises for me is how how can you be sure or how. How can you help them identify their zone of genius? Because I suspect that a lot of people say, oh, I'm not really sure. And how can you make sure that they're 
they're, they're being honest and genuine about it or that they really recognize it and this is my passion thing rather than oh i've got to give you an answer so i'll give you something right um and also and also also um you know there might be the other extreme where somebody says well i can do a b c d f and uh, right, right through to z all of that stuff's my zone of genius so so this is again for the leaders have to first ask what level of psychological safety is currently at my job right and the way in which you measure that is, you know, culture is usually defined by the worst behavior tolerated. So you first have to identify, okay, what's the worst behavior that's actually being tolerated? And then second, you have to ask your staff, you know, are you comfortable um, having hard conversations? When was the last time you had a hard conversation with your staff? You can even ask them, what's something that you've been avoiding telling me or telling, you know, other, other colleagues? Well, what is, if you could change one thing about this company, what would you change? So you start to build this relationship of asking, actually asking for their feedback so they believe you. Because a lot of, a lot of staff at first are like, I don't think you actually want to know what I love mm -hmm. to do or what I don't want to. So you have to start building that, right? Building that relationship. Another way in which you can build trust with your staff is start thanking them through their language of appreciation. Do you know your staff's language of appreciation? Is it, is it gifts? Gifts are bonuses. You know, you can take the same bonus that you give someone at the end of the year if you spread it out amount across the entire year, maybe even sometimes less bonus, but you spread it out across the entire year and give it to them each time they do something really good. Productivity goes up because they also feel engaged. Um, is it acts of service? Oh, if it's acts of service, let them go home early on Friday, cover their shift or, or help them with some of their work so that, because you know what's going on with their family. Oh, is it quality time? have lunch with them once in a while, even if it's over Zoom, every like month or every couple months, every quarter, you have a lunch where you actually, what are the goals that you want to actually achieve? How do you want to do this? Is it words of affirmation? Oh, actually not only praise them within your department, but praise them outside of their de your department so that if they ever want to transfer in the future, they can and they know that you'll have their back. So when you're doing these certain things, by the time you get to the point where you ask them, hey, what is your zone of genius, right? Then you, they actually can be more honest with you. And then you can experiment because maybe they don't know it. So it's just like, okay, out of all the work that you do, I want you to write down all of the work you do and list the your favorite, favorite type of work to your least favorite type of work. Just let's just do that experiment. Okay, sweet. Out of these things that are here at the top, what, how can we do a little bit more of that? Or how can, if it's not, you know, oh, we're taking on a new project. Oh, I'd love to do um, the marketing aspect of this project. How are we spending more time for you to actually do the, the marketing on this specific project that we're about to, to take on? So again, it's not like them doing more work. It's more just reframing how they're approaching a certain project and then giving them the freedom to actually experiment and have a certain level of self-advocacy, you know, self-autonomy to feel like they have choice of how they want to do their work. Mm, yeah, that's fabulous. And there's a, there's a lot in what you said there it sort of comes back to really uh, starting with a, building a good culture and a safe space to have those conversations. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Great. All right. Um, now, 
one of the things we chatted about before we started recording was this idea of the inner critic. I mean, we all have mm. these conversations every day with ourselves and, and most of the conversations go like, um, well, here I am chatting to Jeff Harry on this podcast. Now, why should he even pay attention to me? And I'm no good as a podcaster and that kind of stuff. So we're always um, very critical and often that gets in the way of actually doing good work. So how do we how do we use play to um, deal with with that and um, you know take a different approach to that inner critic? Yeah, so um, I'm pulling something up that 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 I really resonate with, and you know, what we have to understand is where the inner critic comes from, right? The inner critic is part of the rational mind, and the rational mind's mm. only answers are fight, flight and freeze. That's it. Those are the answers. So a lot of times we rush to the rational mind to answer a question like, hey, should I take a risk on this project? Or should I create a side business? Or, you know, you know, how can I be more creative? And the rational mind only has three answers, you know, and, and I'm pulling up this quote from Albert Einstein, where he says, you know, the, you know, the, the rat here, actually, let me pull up this other one because this one actually more resonates with me. So um, the intuitive mind is a sacred gift and the rational mind is a faithful servant. We have created a society that honors the servant, the rational mind, and has forgotten the gift, which is the intuition, the intuitive mind. So we have to be asked, be very aware of which part of us are we asking when we're asking a really hard question? Are we asking our rational mind or our intuition, right? Our inner child in many ways. So the way in which to actually approach your inner critic is you first have to make yourself aware of when it actually shows up. A lot of times mm -hmm. we are not really aware. Most of the, most of yeah. the mindset stuff that we do <laughs> is all about awareness. Um, Elizabeth Gilbert, this phenomenal author that, you know, wrote Eat, Pray, Love and, and Big Magic would, would recently said, and she's a prolific author. And she goes, my full-time job is dealing with my mental health and I write on the side. That's my side business. And that's mm -hmm. really the approach we should have with everything. If we're focused on our mental health and our mindset a majority of the time, we'd actually get most of our stuff done. So, so here's actual a play strategy you can do for inner critic stuff. And it's like, it's a four parter, right? So whenever you're feeling crappy about yourself, what that means is that your inner critic's been there for a while. You haven't realized it, but it's been whispering you this entire time. Mm -hmm. So I challenge you at that point, And usually it's like, you're binge watching Netflix, you're eating Cheetos. You're just like, you're just not doing well. Right. And you're like, Oh, how do I feel this way? Um, so then. I challenge people at that point to then write down either on a piece of paper or on their phone, whatever they have available, but start writing down what is your inner critic whispering to you at this very moment? Oh, you're, you know, you're always going to be a loser. You're broke. No one pays attention to you. You're, you're a BSer. Um, no one loves you. Like write down all of the bad things that you feel like it's showing up at this moment. And this is a great strategy because as soon as you write it down, again, you're making yourself aware that there is this voice that's popping up, right? So that's the first technique, write it down. Then the second thing is to ask yourself, what does my inner critic sound like? 
you know, where is it coming from? And what is my inner critic? What does my inner critic look like? Like, is it a bully from third grade? Is it my last boss? Is it my parents? Is it like some just adults, you know, way back in my childhood? Because basically what it is, it's a voice from your past. And it's a mm. voice that that actually is trying to protect you. Your rational mind is there for survival. That's its main goal. So, of course, its answers are going to be like scaring you all the time because it got hurt in the past. And it's telling you, no, be careful. You're going to get hurt again. So you identify, you write down what it's, what it's, it's saying to you, right? You identify what it looks like, what it sounds like, right? Now you have a visual of what it is. And then and I learned this from my friend, Marsha Shandor. Then you name it. And this is a really powerful technique because what you're trying to do is you're trying to identify it as separate from you, that it's a voice from the past. And in order to do that, you really have to figure out, is this my rational mind or is this my intuition right now? You know, because I think a lot of times we think our inner critic is actually us. And it's not. Yeah. It's just an older version of us. It's that old story from way back when. So then my my inner critic is named Gargamel, you know, from the <laughs> Smurfs. So like he sucked all the joy out of everything. And Gargamel usually says to me, you're full of BS. You don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you know, you're going to be broke. Uh, your business is going to fail. You know, no one loves you. It says all those things, right? But now that I recognize it's Gargamel, I can turn to it in my mind and be like, thank you, Gargamel. Like you give love to it. You don't like try to get rid of it. You give love to it. You give it attention because that's what it's asking for. And you go, thank you, Gargamel. Well, actually, you're saying that I'll be broke one day. Well, actually, I'm doing really well financially. <laughs> you know, oh, you say that, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about. But actually, I feel like I'm, I'm doing pretty well. And, and, and I'm pretty confident about the stuff that I'm talking about. You know, you say I'm not, I, I'm not loved by anyone. Actually, I, I'm surrounded by people that, I, that love me. So when you start to respond to it, you actually start to recognize that it is an old part of you that you don't need to listen to anymore. And you start to tell that Gargamel, that inner critic, you can be in the car, but you don't drive the car anymore. You're going to be sitting in the back seat of this car, right? <laughs> and then the final thing that you can do is then you go back to that list of all of those mean things that you say to yourself and you start to flip them. Oh, I'm going to always be broke. Actually, I'm I'm, I'm going to do six. I'm going to be very successful and quite affluent. Oh, no one loves me. Actually, I'm surrounded by people who love me and more people that will come into my life will also love me. You start flipping all of these over and, and making them positive. And that can be, can be, become, that can become your mantra. It can be something that you can start saying to yourself. And, you know, it sounds a little woo woo, but from a positive psychology standpoint, what you're doing is you're practicing creating new patterns in your mind. So your inner critic has laid a lot of negative patterns in your mind. And by practicing either a mantra or saying positive things back to yourself, what you're doing is you're laying new patterns on top of the old patterns. You can't get rid of the patterns from the past, but you can lay new, you know, neuro pathways by practicing a certain mantra. Like many studies have, have found this to be true. And then when you, when you're saying this stuff to yourself, you're actually giving more energy to your intuition. 
You're giving more power to your inner child and then you can hear what your inner child is saying instead of just hearing your inner critic that's really loud. And your inner child or your intuition is going to start whispering things to you that are kind of exciting but also nerve-wracking, like nerve-sided as I say. And they're going to say things like start a podcast, create a video, reach out to that person you've been wanting to reach out to for six months. Take that risk that you've been thinking about forever and do it. And it doesn't even really matter what the outcome is. It's the idea that now you're confronting uncertainty, right? That we talked about earlier. You're con confronting your fear, which is what? False evidence appearing real, right? And when you confront it, you realize it's not that bad. Oh, I can sit, I can sit in the deep end of the pool of uncertainty and be fine. And each time you take a risk, you expand what is possible in your life. Yeah, yeah. And and that also builds new neural pathways, like you said. I, I love the strategy. Um, one of the things that uh, my business coach occasionally suggests in in this idea of, you know, if you're recognizing you're in a voice and, and you're talking to yourself is is give it give it a voice like for example a Donald Duck voice. And uh -huh, I can't do exactly. it, Donald. I can't can't do a Donald Duck voice, but you know, I can imagine it and and kind of as soon as as soon as you hear it in that Donald Duck voice or something like that, it's it like you think, really? You, know, you start laughing yeah. and yeah. Well, well, what's so funny is when I run this inner critic workshop in person, and hopefully I'll run it in person in the future again, um, we actually have people act out their inner critic to each other. <laughs> and then they start yeah. just laughing because they're like Frank Frugal and Tila Tequila and these just crazy names of, you know, and and you start to find out how absurd it sounds and then and then as soon as you see how absurd it is then you start to recognize like i don't need to listen to it as much you know yeah that's great one of the things that i've been experimenting with recently is um you know in the, in this day and age where we're kind of not getting together in person as much as Bringing people together in online events in a way that, um, you know, they forget that it's an online event so much. Mm -hmm. They forget about the technology and the fact that, you know, we're doing this because we can't get together in person. Um, I've, I've expanded it to be international. So we're talking across the world here. So that, that's what technology enables. Um, but bringing people together who don't necessarily, well, most of them don't know one another. So it's kind of a way of introducing new folks into this community. Um, what's your suggestion of um, using play in that environment, particularly, you know, you meet somebody new in a networking event, whether it's online or in real life, and, and usually it starts off with, oh, hey, hey, Jeff, what do you do? You know, and it's yep. kind of like a bit boring and a bit, bit surface and a bit transactional rather than what, what I'm trying to do is starting off by, you know, exploring whether there can be a relationship there and, and learning about the person as a person and mm -hmm. then if if we like one another and if there's a relationship starts to grow well then you know that opens up possibilities and we can take take on those later on so post in the post pandemic world can we please stop asking people just what they do <laughs> I, that can be one of the questions but don't lead with that question because a lot mm. of times that doesn't actually capture 
who people are, right? So mm. I found the most effective, most powerful uh, virtual meetings that I've been a part of, it's all about the question. And it's all about asking really interesting, unique questions, right? Like, what is the weirdest thing about you? You know, what is, what is an adventure that, what is an adventure that, like, what is the, what's one of the biggest adventures you've ever gone on? Or what's one of the biggest risks you've ever done? You know, people want to share that. Like, something magnificent and interesting mm. is happening on Clubhouse, for example, the Clubhouse app, because there's, there's, um, because there's no visual, there's a lot of people hopping on, hopping on this app that's on 24 hours a day. And they're sharing really vulnerable, powerful things because there's a certain level of anonymity to it, right? So like taking advantage of the fact that like we may never see each other again. There's some, sometimes if you think about it, some of your most amazing conversations you've ever had have been on a plane with a stranger that you will never see again. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Because you have let go of expectations. You are not trying to impress one another. The problem a lot of times with why like things feel so stiff is because we're trying to act perfect. And I say this a lot around play, right? Play is the opposite of perfection. Perfection is rooted in ego, shame, constantly trying to be right, constantly afraid of making a mistake or afraid of, of failure. Play is curiosity, experimentation, wonder, awe, all those things, right? So like if you go into a conversation just being curious and making it more about finding out interesting things about that in individual instead of thinking the whole time, how do I impress this individual? How do I get this person's business card? How do I work for this person? Like, you know, um, my, one of my play mentors, Kevin Carroll, would always say, do you want to have a transactional conversation or a transformational conversation? You can only have one. So what one do you want to have? And if so, what are the questions that are most interesting to you, right? You don't have to use the ones I pose, but what are the ones that are most interesting to you that you would love to ask someone to ask you and then ask those questions and see what where it evolves from there and be okay with it going wherever it's supposed to go instead of trying to control everything. Hmm. Yeah, lots of great advice there. And I like the, you know, um, I mean, it's, it comes back a little bit to the empathy that you were talking about earlier. And, you know, what, what, what do I wish people would ask me? And then, well, maybe other people think that too. So let's ask that. And then not tying any expectation to that. And I think mm -hmm. if, you know, you, you mentioned the inner child and letting the inner child out. I mean, as children, uh, we probably never would have learned to walk or talk or read or all the other stuff that we've learned, you know, in that, in that first, five, six, seven years, if we had have let ego get in the way and, and say, well, well, gee, if I uh, start walking now, I might fall over. Um, and right. Fall like imagine me. if a kid, imagine if a kid said that, oh, I fell over. So I'm just going to give up now. I'm not going to yeah, yeah. do this again. Or they did the same thing with their bike. Well, forget yeah. this. Like we forget that as adults, you know, we get so mm. adults get so fixed on fixated on expectations and expectations of the thief of joy. That's part of the reason why 2020 was so hard on top of all the loss that we had and all the pain and suffering that a lot of people went through. Getting fixated on like, to remember December 31st, 2019 and how many people said to themselves as well as to others, 2020 is gonna be my year. 
This is the year I'm going to change mm. my job. This is the year I'm going to start my business. This is the year I'm going to get married or this is the year I'm going to fall in love. And then when that did not happen, for a lot of people, they were like, I'm so disappointed with this year. I can't believe it. And the, the people that thrived in 2020 were able to let go of those expectations, being like, those are not going to happen. That's okay. All right. What's next? Let me just be open to what's possible. And I think a lot of times I challenge people like, you know, we are so focused on productivity and, and accomplishment and we tie so much of our self-worth to our productivity. But at the end of the year, do you think about your most productive moments or your most accomplished moments? Or do you think about your most play, fun, joyful moments? And if you do think about your most play, fun, joyful moments, even especially at the end of your life, right? Wouldn't we want to spend more time trying to explore those moments, right? Like I, I challenge a lot of my clients to be like, what was your most awe-inspiring moment of 2020? What was the t moment where you laughed the most? Who were you with when this happened? You know, what was your most humbling moment? Like all of these, I ask these questions and then based off of the answers of that, ooh, based off of all these awe-inspiring moments that you had in 2020, Let's plan those for 2021. Let's plan to be around those people more. And what happens is when you actually do that, you put yourself in a possibility of getting more into flow, which actually helps you answer so many of the questions that you've been struggling with, whether at your job or in life. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. Now, Harry, um, one of the things that um, that raised for me was how can we do that more often? Because if we wait sort of twelve months, and, and right. you know, I'm I'm a I'm a planner, but I I don't um, like doing these long term planning things because I'm not going to wait twelve months to say, well, this yeah. plan didn't work, so I'll change that one or so on. Um, but the other thing is that you know we talked about the inner critic, and we always beat ourselves up. Okay, that didn't work, and that one didn't work, and this didn't work, and yet we don't take nearly as much time. In fact, probably. <laughs> not even a fraction of the time to celebrate the things that did work exactly. and look at those and say, well, what can I learn from that? You know, we look at, okay, I made a mistake here. What can I learn from the mistake? How can I do that better next time? But we don't look at, oh, this really worked well. What can I learn from that? Why did it work really well? Why did I enjoy doing it? So how can we kind of shift the mindset a little bit so that we do that and do it more regularly rather than just the once a year thing? So that sure. we can take that step that you, you suggest then and say, well, how can we do more of that? Yeah. So there's a positive, there's a positive psychology technique around savoring that I think a lot of people don't really spend enough time doing. Right. And what's fascinating about savoring is you actually in your mind can slow down time. So one thing for one technique that I read about, and I need to test this out for my own, you know, knowledge is, if you just watch sunsets for like a week or sunrises, whichever one you want to choose, and you just watch them, that's it. You didn't film them. You didn't do anything. You just watch them. After a while, after that week, your brain actually starts to appreciate that more and actually starts to slow down time in your mind because you're like, oh, we're just being here, just being mindful and observing. And then you actually can use that same savoring technique and apply that to like eating food and apply that to doing all these other things. So one thing you can do about celebrating your wins is you can actually savor them more. So one way th that I've done that's really helpful, and I learned this from my play, another play mentor of mine, Gwen Gordon, is you describe that win in great detail to somebody else. Like, oh my goodness, I spoke at this conference 
in Australia, you know, in Melbourne last year. It was absolutely amazing. People were laughing. People were crying. They thought it was one of the best workshops in the entire conference. It just made me feel so good. So I described this to a friend or a spouse or something. Then what they do is they describe back to you how they felt about hearing that. And they're like, oh, wow, that was so great to hear you do that. I'm so excited for you, Jeff, and all of the amazing things that you're doing in the world. And then they, they give that back to you. And then you describe how you're feeling hearing this back. And this is actually double downing on savoring. It's actually in, um, implanting or, you know, putting a stamp on this moment more so that you actually remember it and you can actually recall it quicker because not only a lot of times we have a win and then we move on, we do something else, right? Or we celebrate in the same way as which we numb. You know, like some people are like, oh, when I celebrate, I go drinking and, you know, I get plastered. Well, actually, when I'm sad, I also get plastered and I and I drink. And it's just like, whoa, then we got to identify how are you celebrating? Like, how are you in, how are you putting a stamp on this really amazing a moment in your life so that you can look back at it over and over again? People do that when they look at like their wedding photos or when they look at their kid growing up. Right. So we do that and we reminisce. But we don't do it deliberately. So that savoring technique is a really good strategy of actually being able to really solidify the moment in your mind for the rest of your life. Mm, that's that's wonderful advice. And I know, you know, I'm a keen photographer, so I, I do spend quite a bit of time going back and looking at old photos. And I'm um, I'm in the process of scanning, and I've got thousands of slides, tens of thousands of slides, film slides. And I'm in the process of starting to digitize those so as you can imagine that's probably going to be my life's lifelong work from now on uh, well here's, but, a, here's uh, a question for here's a question for you as a photographer have do you take photos of people or mostly just nature and things like that uh it's a mixture of things so I, i've got lots of what i was going to say i've got lots of photos of family and kid the kids when they were growing up so i'm starting to um, group those into time spans or events and and use you know and break the project of scanning these tens of thousands of slides down into this okay let's let's spend a weekend scanning um stephanie learning to walk for example stephanie's my daughter right. so uh and and in looking through those pictures you know i'm i'm reminded of things so i've actually relived those moments and it's kind of like what you were describing in savoring and of course i talk to my wife about it i say have a look at these photos I've just seen. And then we look at the photos together and then we share stories and have that conversation. So it's exactly that. So I can really relate to that. Yeah. So here's a challenge to do. Do this even more. Double down on that. Anyone, hmm. any really powerful photo that you've taken of somebody else that maybe now they have, right? Whether that's your daughter or other family members or friends or stuff like that. What's what the magic that you have as a photographer, which maybe you already realized, is you are capturing them at their best sometimes. Mm. You are capturing them. You're actually allowing them to see themselves in a way that they may not have ever seen themselves. And they actually look back at that photo. So even asking them, what was it like for me to take that photo of you? And what do you think of when you look at that photo? And just what you'll hear back from them. Oh, man, it's such magic, dude. I've spoken to a lot of my photographer friends about this and they're like, it's powerful when you realize like, whoa, I did not realize my photo had had that much impact on your life. 
So I would challenge you to find out what impact those photos have had on other people's lives. Hmm. Thanks. I'll uh, try that out and let you know. That's great. All right. Well, um, I'm having a lot of fun here. I hope you are too. <laughs> but this is I great. Just saw, the, just saw the time. and I think normally this, um, a few moments ago I would have moved on to the buzz. I think it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round. And these are five scripted questions that I have awesome. that are really designed to help our uh, listener who are primarily they're innovators and leaders in their field with some tips mm -hmm. from your experience. So as I say, there's five questions. So let's begin with number one, which is what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? The number one, I'm, I'm gonna, there's so many different ones, but the one that I'm going to say is get bored. So <laughs> as a play person, you know, it's weird that a play person is advocating for boredom, but I challenge your leaders to actually get bored. And what I mean by that is stop binge watching Netflix, stop looking at social media, stop looking at your email, stop being busy and allow yourself 30 minutes to an hour to actually be bored where you're not inundated with information. We get more information in a day than most people in the 1950s got in an entire year. Right. So it's so noisy. But if you allow yourself to get bored, that is when your intuition shows up. That's when your inner child starts to whisper those crazy ideas to you, those nerve sighted ideas. And when you do that, that's where innovation is. It's in the boredom. Mm. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> it. It reminded me my son. Who, uh, so we've got two. So Stephanie and Martin's my son. Um, he was very hyperactive as a as a kid and um there'd be times particularly if we went on holiday and were away from all the toys and all the other bits and pieces and he'd say oh i'm bored mm -hmm. and my usual response was oh that's great 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 because think about it that's when they have their most mischievous ideas right that's when they're right. like oh can i leap from here to there i don't know if i can i'm gonna try if i can right but those same mischievous ideas are where innovation is so hmm. yeah love it um what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas um, one of my favorite ways is i start my day with a, a TikTok video so I actually make these really nerdy, weird videos, right? Um, and why do I do that? It has no ROI value. It doesn't bring me money. Um, but I do it because it primes my day through the lens of play. So I start my day by making a creative TikTok video, and then I see everything as play. And then my friend Desiree taught me this great question to ask of myself at the beginning of the day, which is, how can it get any better than this? And you ask this whether you're having a good day or a bad day, right? At any moment you ask yourself, how can it get any better than this? Um, and then you start to positively prime all those moments. So like this morning, ooh, I made these videos. How can it get any better than this? Ooh, then I interviewed for this book that's coming out. Ooh, how can it get any better than this? You know, then I did this really interesting brainstorm with a colleague of mine as we prep for this really awesome workshop we're doing around burnout. How can it get any better than this? Now we're having this conversation. Oh my gosh, I'm talking to you in all, all the way in Melbourne, Australia. How can it get any better than this? I don't know if it can. But when you do that, you're priming your moments and setting a pattern in your mind because your mind is constantly looking for patterns and it will actually look for the thing that will get better, 
right? Now, the challenge I say to a lot of people is if you have a bad day, you're not having a bad day. You're having a bad moment. And then you're ruminating about that moment and looking for another bad moment and another bad moment and simply asking the question, how can it get any better than this? With curiosity, not with yearning, but with curiosity, you can actually shift your mind and get out of that negativity spiral and start to have an actual good day. Hmm. Yeah, it's a brilliant question because um, it's kind of if if you have if you're starting off from a point of that was wonderful. Now, how can it get any better than this? Then you're looking for um, something that's wonderful. And if if you have a bad experience or a bad moment and then you're reframing rather than yep. saying, well, what what else can go wrong? Which is often what my inner critic says, you know, things come in threes. What else? What else could go wrong? Right. And that's the thing that's so interesting because then we're setting the pattern. Bad things come in threes. So then you start looking for the three bad, the, the second next, yeah. bad, bad things. So you're like, there you go. I knew it was coming. You know, so it's amazing what our mind can do to psych ourselves out or be our biggest fan. Mm. Great. All right. Now, what's a favorite resource you use most often? Um, a favorite resource that I use. Um, well, right now I'm using, I'm using my ring light for a lot of my videos. I use that all the time. Um, um, another resource that I use that I find really effective is, um, is it by resources, an object or, or it could be an object. It could be software. It could be. Just I do, you know, I do something known, a resource that I use is something known as tipsy storms. I do this with my friends or my colleagues every few months where we get a little tipsy, you know, maybe, you know, some, some beverages or dessert or whatever the thing that like loosens us up. And we brainstorm a bunch of like crazy ideas of like what we want to do. And while we do that, because we're like in this play space, we come up with some of the coolest ideas that we would have never thought of on our own. So I'm doing like, you know, these tipsy storms every couple months that just challenge me to be like, am I really taking a risk right now? Or am I, am I playing, um, playing small? Am I playing small right mm. now? And th those get me out of that rut. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, something I'll have to try out. <laughs> All right. Now, what's the best way to keep a client on track? Or do you uh, need the, to keep them on track if if you're changing this uh, the mindset to this play mindset? The best way to keep a client on track is to is to get them out of the mode of perfection and get them to stay in the world of experimentation, curiosity, mm. and play. So if they're constantly looking for like the next result and when is this going to happen? You know, when am I going to hit six figures? When am I going to be famous? When am I, when is this going to, then it's just like, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen for you because you're so fixated on the result. But if you are falling in love with the process, then like not only sky's the limit, but there's almost no way in which you're going to fail. I actually ask this to a lot of people of like, you know, what work would you do even if you knew you were going to fail at it? You know, I remember this uh, Toronto Burke, she created the Me Too movement here in the U.S. You know, she talked about how she's been doing this work since like 2004 or something. And now like she's being praised. They take her to the Oscars and the you know Academy Awards, Emmys, all this stuff. 
And she was up on stage at this conference I was at, and she was like, if you took all this fame and fortune and all this stuff away from me, it wouldn't matter. I'm still doing this work. I used to do this work in church basements and rec centers, and I'll do it again in that because I care about the work. Like, I care about the process. I'm in love with the process of the work. I'm not in love with the result. And when someone is not focused on the result, but focused on just being in love with the process, they're, it's dangerous, man, because nothing can knock you off from your pedestal because you're just like, you're in it for the sake of being in it. Whether you're failing or succeeding, you are just in it because you love to do that work in the world. So I ask people a lot of times, what is the work that makes you come most alive? Because Howard Thurman's quote is like, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive. Because what the world needs is for more people to come alive. Well, and when you're doing the work that makes you come most alive, you're untouchable, really. Hmm. Yeah, it's fabulous. And and it sort of highlights to me again this idea of letting go of expectation. Mm -hmm. We talked about it earlier about um, starting conversations that are transformational rather than transactional. And one of the keys for me is letting go of expectation, doing experiments and playing. Um, yeah, if you're... If you, expecting a certain result then that influences the experiment whereas if you don't have expectations go into it without expectations it allows more curiosity exactly exactly hmm. all right and what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves embrace their inner weirdo and i got that from someone recently that that was speaking about Embrace who you embrace that nerdy part of yourself, man. The part that is so strange. A lot of times we think the weird part of ourselves is the thing that's going to be the drawback when actually that's where all the innovation is. That's where all of the creativity and the strange stuff about themselves is. And I think we, we pat that down, you know, and I speak a lot, a lot about this as well. Like, you know, um, did you ever see the movie Goodwill Hunting? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's a movie in America. You know, it's about Matt, Matt Damon's a genius and Ben Affleck is his friend and he's not a genius. Um, and it, and because Matt's a genius, he can have any job he wants. Like, you know, he could be an actuary. He can be, he's just like this phenomenal mathematician. And at the end of the movie, they're working construction and Ben's like, when are you going to take one of these high paying jobs? When are you going to, you know, start to cash in on this? And Matt's like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to work construction. We're going to raise our kids next to each other, take them to Foley Field. And that's just what I'm, we're going to do. And Ben turns to him and he's like, man, if I see you here in 20 years, I'm going to kill you. Like, I'm literally going to kill you. And Matt's like, what, what, why, what, I owe it to myself? And he's like, no, you don't owe it to yourself. You owe it to me. And you owe it to everyone else at this construction site because we're going to be here in 20 years. And we're okay. I'm okay with that. But you are sitting on a winning lottery ticket and you're too scared to cash it in. And like each and every one of your listeners is sitting on a winning lottery ticket. And, and frankly, you're not trying to cash it in for yourself. This is not about you, actually. This is about the idea that someone is waiting for you to do your thing so they can do their thing. Someone waiting for you to take their, your risk so they can take their risk. Like they are, like whether that is like, 
you know, your child or a, a, a colleague of yours or a mentee, people are watching what you're doing. And at any moment, when you're willing to embrace that weird, nerdy self of yours and take that risk, get bored, and then follow that nerve-sided idea, and you actually follow through with it, you are giving permission as well as a shot of bravery to everyone else to actually do their thing. And if we're talking about, oh, I want to have an impact on the world, I want to change the world, you know, before I die, this is your way of changing the world. Simply cash in on your winning lottery ticket and do the thing that makes you come most alive. Because when you do that, you give permission for everyone else to do the same. Hmm. I love it. Great. That's probably one of the best answers I've had for that question and that certainly differentiates you. <laughs> okay, now, thanks, Jeff. This has been really fabulous. Where can people find out more about you and maybe even reach out, begin a transformational conversation and uh, say thanks for what you've shared today? Absolutely. So simply you can go to rediscoveryourplay.com, click on the Let's Play button where I have a bunch of play activities that you can actually do to like learn more about how to deal with your inner critic, rediscover your flow. And then you can also click on the button to hop on a call with me and we can figure out how you can kick ass more in this world and actually do the thing that makes you come most alive all through playing. Wonderful. Great. And we'll have that link in the show notes so people can click straight through. So I think you've probably given us a bit of parting advice, but is there anything else you want to um, leave the listener with today? Sure. Um, if 2020 taught us anything, it taught us that nobody knows what they're doing. Nobody knows. Yeah. No one really knows what they're doing. We're all making it up as we go along. And even your favorite, you know, think, you know, uh, thinkers of the world, the Simon Sinek's, Brene Brown's, you know, uh, you know, I don't know who else people, uh, subscribe to Marie Forleo. They don't know what they're doing either. They're just trying to figure it out just like everyone else. So knowing that, recognize that you are actually the expert of yourself. And also, I believe, and I learned this from positive psychology is that, you know, you have all the answers that you need and you simply need to play enough in order to figure it out. So if any advice that I'm giving you today resonates with you, the only reason it resonates with you is you've already given yourself this same advice. I'm just reminding you of what you already know. So simply trust your intuition. Listen to your intu intuition. Don't listen to your inner critic as much, right? Recognize your rational mind and your, and your intuition and your inner child and allow your inner child to show up and, and, and play with your inner child more. And all of a sudden you'll start innovating and be creative in ways that you never thought possible. And you'll start to have an adventure that is just so much more joyful and fulfilling in life. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned that we're all making it up as we go along. I, I remember doing a bunch of videos in the very early days of the pandemic. So this was, probably March last year, and as things were getting really bad and as countries were going into lockdown and the impact was on businesses, all these articles started popping up about, here's how you overcome a pandemic and here's what you need to do in business. And I thought, hmm, that's really interesting because uh, the last pandemic that I remember, if I look at the history books, was back in... Um, 
the 1910s, which was the exactly. flu. And, and I thought, I didn't realize there was anybody still alive that went Exactly, that. And, exactly. It's just like, thought, oh, you were oh, around? Oh, you're 120 years old? Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, please, please tell me more. So, tell me more about Yeah. So I, I think these people are giving advice, and yet, you know, we're all making it up because we haven't been through it's something like, like this. Like, what are you talking? Exactly. I say that all the time. I love that you said that. It's so true. It's just like you are basically just trying to pretend that you are an expert right now when you don't know what you're talking about. You keep talking about pivoting, but you don't even know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. I did a bunch of videos at that time and I, I said, you know, this is what's happening. And I have to laugh at people who are saying, here's how you deal with the pandemic and so on. And I said, I'll, I'll share with you what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing, but I, right. you know, I'm just, I'm just trying some stuff out. <laughs> And, right, and right. yes, I need to make some changes because this is going to impact me and my business. And here's what I'm going to do. And if if you like those things, join me and try them out. If you don't like exactly. them, do your own stuff. Yeah, exactly. But don't try to be an expert when you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, goodness. All right. Well, finally, Jeff, who else should I get on this show and why? Ooh. There's so many different people. There's my uh, colleague, Lauren Yee, who uh, studies curiosity and how curiosity can solve so many of the problems that you uh, need to address in the world. There's Angie Cole, who actually was in Australia not that long ago, that talks a lot about masculine and feminine leadership and how do you find balance, you know, whether you're a woman or a man, how do you find balance in, in showing mm. up in that way? Um there's my friend Maddie Gabor, who actually uses data to answer questions about humanity. Um, that's super fascinating what she's doing on, on that front. So, yeah, there, I have tons of people. You know, my friend Jennifer Abels. Jennifer Abels actually ran this organization called Soldiers Who Salsa, where she taught soldiers that were amputees how to salsa again and how to play through dance which actually gave them the confidence to do all these other things in their life. You know, she actually went to the White House for that. So, and even Afghanistan. Okay. So, yeah, um, there's so many cool, amazing people that are doing great work in the world. So I'm happy to introduce you to any of them. Great. Well, we'll get introductions to all of those folks, Lauren, Angie, Maddie, and Jennifer from you. And, um, yeah, see if we can bring them on because I'm really fascinated. We kind of drifted away from that concept of masculine and feminine energy. and and, and I did occur to me to make the comment that, hey, it's not about being a man or being a woman. You you can embrace a balance of those energies and it's yeah. appropriate to use one or, or another or more of one or more of another in different situations. So it would be great to chat with Angie about that some more. Awesome. And, and I'm sure well, Lauren and Maddie and Jennifer the, will have wonderful conversations too. I'll make a bunch of introductions. Let's go. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks, Jeff. And thanks so much for sharing your time and your insights. I've had a lot of fun today. I'm sure this will be a fun episode for the listener. And uh, I'm really looking forward to sharing it. I wish you all the best for the future and let's stay in touch. Absolutely. Thanks so much for the opportunity. This was awesome. I hope you enjoyed that wonderfully playful and inspiring conversation with Jeff and took something away from his episode. I so love the quote, expectations are the thief of joy. 
and there are so many other wonderful ideas in what Jeff shared with us. I'd love to know what you took away from Jeff's episode. Leave a comment below the blog post and you can be playful with this comment. The blog post you can find at innovabiz.co forward slash Jeff Harry. That is J-E-F-F-H-A-R-R-Y. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Jeff Harry. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Jeff, as well as links to his Rediscover Your Play website, his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation today. Now, if you like this episode, please do share it widely. Don't keep it to yourself and be selfish. Share it with people that it might help. Tag me in on those shares, and I'll reach out to you with a special surprise gift. Jeff suggested that we have a conversation with Lauren Yee, Cultivator of Curiosity, with Angie Cole of Untaming the Wild, with Maddie Gabor of This Us Now, and with Jennifer Abels of Soldiers Who Salsa on a future Innova Buzz podcast episode. That's actually four episodes. So Lauren, Angie, Maddie and Jennifer, keep an eye on your inboxes for an invitation from us to the Innova Buzz podcast courtesy of Jeff Harry. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast, where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up, including Graham Miller, author of The Human Factor, and Raoul Alim of Custom Creatives. Thanks for listening to this episode. Make sure you subscribe to the show to be reminded of new episodes. It's free to subscribe. Leave a review if you like even if you don't like me, I'm okay with that. I'm asking you to leave a review because it helps other people find this show. Go to innovabiz.co to join our marketing transformation community and access a free gift my team and I made for you. It's the Marketing Master Mini Class. We want to give you everything you need to transform your marketing into a human-centered, relationship-focused growth engine. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.